Here we are, stories from the influencer economy. This is Ryan Williams with Tom Merritt. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to try something new today. Where I'm just going to I'm going to jump in and do my intro with you on on the on the other end. Yeah, I love being part of an experiment. That's which right. I I never do. It, it could blow up on my face, but uh Stories from the Influencer Economy is a podcast in which I speak with creators and entrepreneurs launching the next big thing in media. Please make sure you check us out on iTunes and subscribe. We'd love to hear what you think and leave a comment. As Tom knows, these subscriptions on iTunes are are heavily favored for helping creators like ourselves get discovered in iTunes. Also, I have a free podcast tip sheet. You can email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com, and I'll give you a free marketing guidebook for starting your podcast in 2015 and beyond. So it's a guidebook to help you create content, find your audience, and create a calendar around the shows that you'll be producing. So ryan at influencereconomy.com, and follow me on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. And while we're at it, uh, Tom Merritt, you are at tommerritt.com, is that correct? Yeah, that's the the website. Two R's, two T's. And your uh, Twitter is is aced. It's ridiculous. Uh, I also have Tom Merritt on Twitter, which will tell you what my actual Twitter handle is. I use one called Ace Detect. It's a long story. And how long have you had Ace Detect? Is that your AOL username from back in the day? It was my concentric.net username from 1996. Yeah. Concentric. You're right. It's a long story. I, I take your <laughs> your word for it. Um, cool. And that's uh that's the that's the cold intro that I've, I've never done before. Oh, well done. Yeah, I didn't even notice. How'd it go? So seamless. Seemed perfect. So like uh, you've been doing it for years. I, I'm a savvy vet. I actually just celebrated my one-year podcast anniversary. Congratulations. Put up episode number 40. And uh, and you've done over 2,000 shows. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how many shows I've done. I, I My current show, Daily Tech News Show, I use episode numbers that combine the amount of episodes I estimate I did on my previous two Daily Tech News type shows. Uh, but then I've also done a bunch of other shows. So, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of shows. And so right now you're the host of Daily Tech News show, Sword and Laser, Cord Killers. And you mentioned you have 24 shows currently. <laughs> Not quite. Okay. Uh, the, the, uh, the, yes, those that you've mentioned, plus a weekly show called Current Geek. Uh, that is a uh, kind of a look at geek culture, pop culture, every Friday with Scott Johnson. And then I also host uh, seasonal shows, podcasts that come out maybe 12 or 13 episodes at a time. Uh, it's a thing, autopilot. FSL tonight, East meets West, and I host a show called Five Apps on Tech Republic. Okay, so you are doing this full time. When do you not think about creating shows? Like when? What? What parts of your day are you actually not thinking about your podcasts? Not much. I mean, grocery shopping, maybe. I mean, to be honest, you are on camera or recording something. How many hours a day? Well, I'm 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 actually recording something maybe two hours a day, but there's a lot of prep, especially for the daily news show, uh, that I'm that I'm spending hours of time on. And Cord Killers that you mentioned is a show about cord cutting. Uh, so anytime I'm watching a television show, it's essentially research for that show. And when I'm reading books, it's a research for Sword and Laser, which is a, a science fiction and fantasy book club show. So I kind of tied my hobbies all into the shows that I host. And so if you're watching. Let's say um, you know your orange is the new black, and you're with your wife. That's work research. It can be, yeah, absolutely. In fact, even if my wife's just watching something like Nashville on the TiVo over the air, uh, that's partly research because I can talk about her experience, why she watches it, why you know she gets an over the air show, et cetera, et cetera. 
And how were you able, you think, to combine your hobbies and your passions with the work that you do? And obviously it's been years in the making because you went to UT undergrad and you're originally from, is it Illinois? Yeah, I went to University of Illinois undergrad. I went okay. to UT for grad school. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'll try to tell it the short form, which is I've been into computers all my life. I started my own website, did some public access television, wrote a play, kicked around, did some radio in Austin in the 90s. I had been a program director at a commercial radio station before that uh, in the early 90s up in Champaign, Illinois. And I took all that experience to San Francisco in 1999 and started working on the web for ZDTV, which eventually became Tech TV. Which then eventually uh, became G4 TV. Yeah, and when Tech TV became G4 and was merged into Comcast, they moved down to LA. I stayed in San Francisco and started working for CNET uh, and pioneered doing some podcasts and, and video for them. And while I was at CNET, I really got the podcasting bug. Uh, and so that's when I started Sword and Laser and started doing a lot of ancillary projects and slowly built these different shows uh, and then I moved to Leo Laporte's Twit Network for several years and did shows for him. So when I went independent in 2014, I, I had a couple of shows like Sword and Laser and East Meets West that I was already doing. And I decided to kind of tie in the things that I love to do every day already into these new shows and try to launch them. Some of which were versions of previous shows that I had done. I've done Daily Tech News Show. I've done a show on cord cutting before. Uh, but but it was able, I was able to make them work. So do you pinch yourself every day that you get to watch yes. Nashville and get it's unrelated to to the job? We just make sure that you're alive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it's it, I am more. I try to be optimistic, but I, I am more worried that it's all just going to fall apart one of these days because it does seem a little too good to be true that all of these things that I started January 2014 seem to all still be going. Oh, so and you, going you said your one year anniversary. Yeah, for Daily Tech News Show, January 2nd was its one-year anniversary. Cord Killers had its one-year anniversary in December because it started right at the end of 2013. Uh, and I started doing the Tech Republic videos in, like, I think, February. So, yeah, a lot, lot of one-year anniversaries clustered here. Cheers. Thanks. You too. So I think that uh, you're, like, the guy that has the life that every college kid aspires to have. <laughs> oh, I wish I could get paid to play video games, you know, or I wish I could get paid to read, you know, tech blogs and read sci-fi books. It's I'm not going to deny that it's awesome uh, because I, I do love what I do. Right. And that, that's the key is to, you know, all of those books, what color is your parachute and all of those sorts of things are, are about like turning what you love to do into what you do for a living. Uh, but at the same time, it also means that you have to do it. Uh, so there's none of this like, I don't feel like, yeah. uh, you know, looking at the tech news today. You got to do it. So it's not optional. Yeah. You yeah. don't have a boss who's you know, grinding you to get stuff done. You are the boss. Uh, so you either, you, you live or die based on, on what you make yourself do. And how does your community help keep you in check or keep you fired up? Yeah, I, I trace my community roots all the way back to a, a site I did in, in Austin called subbrilliant.com. And one of the things I found doing that, it was a parody news site. I was able to get people from around the internet, uh, which was small back then, to, to be willing to just write funny stuff for us. And I, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be real about this. I'm going to have a weekly schedule. I'm going to solicit stories from people. I'm going to edit them. And I was able to take that experience. And when I applied for the job at ZDTV in 99, show that like, hey, I've been doing this on my own. I could easily do it for you. Uh, and at ZDTV, I learned even more about engaging 
with your audience. So it's so brilliant. I guess what I'm trying to say is I took people who were fans of the site, uh, took their feedback and sometimes made them part of the site. And at ZDTV, they were doing that with shows called The Screensavers and Call for Help, where they would, you know, years before webcams were, were common, they were having people get on the show with video, you know, over dial-up internet sometimes. So, so I learned a lot there uh, more about how to integrate an audience into your site so they feel invested in it. Uh, and I've, I've applied that to podcasting. So, so today, I feel like the audience is the third host. I always have a guest host uh, yeah. and the audience is telling me things in the chat room live while we're recording, uh, you know, helping me get perspectives that I might not have. They're submitting stories in our subreddit so that I, I see different things that I might not choose to put in there that they are saying, hey, we're really interested in this. Uh, and, and I'm taking emails from from experts, uh, people who work in different industries from from law enforcement to uh, agriculture. Uh, again, perspectives that I would never have. And it just makes my shows better. That's a great way to think about the audience is the third guest. And yeah, uh, it, it's like the the sixth man in basketball. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Well, actually, I was thinking about you as a podcaster to use a sports analogy. I think you could be a, you'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer in the podcast Hall of Fame. That's nice of you to say. I'm not sure about that. And I don't really, you know, kiss up to my guests because you're already here. It's not like I need to uh, ingratiate <laughs> you myself. You don't need to convince me. Like it, I was thinking about that last night when I was, you know, wondering what my first question would be because the way you've traced your history is you joined a bunch of bigger companies like CNET and, you know, Leo Laporte's Twit. But now, you know, in the last year, you've become your own, your, your own man, for lack of a better term, on your own, building out your platforms and running your your own company. And so you become a modern day media version of, you know, someone who years ago would have been wearing a suit calling the shots. You're now wearing your cool shirt calling that's your own shots I'm... at yourself. You know, you're the one that's, you know, having to galvanize you and your crew to work, but I feel and I'd love to hear your take on this is, you know, for this book I'm writing, I just finished the uh, the opening chapter and I talk about how the days of guys in suits calling the shots to creatives won't won't go away but those suits have less authority now and that to be a self-made creator entrepreneur, you have to put your money where your mouth is and actually make stuff versus just being behind the scenes, being a yes or no person. Yeah. I think the shots they call are different and probably more appropriate. Uh, you know, what we, what we refer to as the suits are people who understand business and, and are able to say, Hey, you know what, this is probably going to be successful and this is probably not. And I think the lie, especially in the mass broadcasting era of the 70s, when we only had three channels uh, on television and, and daily newspapers, you know, dominated uh, print media as far as news goes, you, you were able to say, well, I'm in charge of this distribution channel. So if you want to be part of it, you have to do what I say, whether I know what I'm talking about really or not. And really, the people in charge, all they had to do was not mess it up. Uh, they had massive audiences. So NBC could be the joke of broadcast television and still have hundreds of millions of viewers, right? right. So they always knew, well, we're going to make some we're going to make some money. It's about how much we can spend, not whether we're going to survive. What we're in the middle of now, which I think is causing a lot of this consternation about can news survive and what will happen to broadcast television, et cetera, et cetera, is that you have to actually make something worthwhile to get people's attention because it's split 
among an infinite number of websites. It's split amongst an infinite number of video games. There's all kinds of video entertainment from small clips up to full independent shows, uh, up to things like HBO's True Detective or AMC's Mad Men uh, that are high quality stuff. So you, you, we have a golden age of television at the same time that it is threatened by this broad base. So so to pull that back to what I do, I, I think that the, the fact that the creator has more of a direct effect and direct connection with his audience holds what you're calling the suits uh, feet to the fire. Like, hey, you guys, you you knew, you do know business. You do know distribution. You do know this stuff, but you have to really know it and you have to really do that job to be valuable to me because there's a certain amount that I can do on my own because the, the distribution channel is no longer controlled by anybody. Right. And I, I like the term suits because it just, you imagine this curmudgeon old white guy who has no idea what he's talking about saying no, no, like the old stereotype of a network executive that was just there telling everyone that what they were doing was wrong because they wanted to put their own imprint on it. Whereas now with you, what you're doing, and could you explain what your, your daily tech news show is all about to listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, I did a show at CNET called Buzz Out Loud, which was a daily news show about technology. I did a show called Tech News Today uh, at This Week in Tech Network. And Daily Tech News Show is my attempt to do that on my own and taking what I learned at those shows and, and putting my own stamp on it. So every day I sit down, I look at all the tech news that is out there. I whittle it down to what I think are the important headlines that people need to know to, to sort of keep up with what's happening in technology. I try to provide a little context to those, a uh, little bit of my own interpretation of what I think they mean so that it's not just me reading an RSS feed to you. Uh, and then I have a guest on, and sometimes more than one guest, uh, to talk about those headlines plus one discussion that's a little longer that involves something that they're really interested in. Uh, and and those guests are are sometimes fellow podcasters and generalists, and sometimes they're they're experts or beat reporters. But I try to bring on people who who don't have an interest in what we're talking about. They're not the product manager of right. it, uh, but are still conversant enough and knowledgeable enough to say, well, here's what I think is really going on. And and what I've been saying even back in the Buzz Out Loud and Tech News Today days is, what's the story behind the story? When you read one post on TechCrunch or Recode, you get one angle on that. What I'm doing is saying, okay, I'm reading four or five of these stories, and I think I've found a few correlations that could give us some insight into what's really going on. At least that's what I'm trying to do on that show every day. So it's about 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, and we also have a pick of the day that's that's usually submitted by fans and a couple of emails, like I said, from from people in the audience who are like, hey, I actually work on this sort of thing. Let me tell you about it. And you, it's whip smart. Like you, you're, very, or you're very fast. I feel like you are like if I was driving, I would speed up as I would listen to this because you guys go through quick headlines and you've digested a lot of information. And then your guest jumps in and they're equally as read or not as read. And sometimes they just riff off of you. So what kind of preparation are you putting in? Uh, yeah, usually uh, I, I wake up. I've already done it this morning. I wake up. and Okay, I so look this show didn't interrupt you doing your prep. It's sort of in a valley of prep because uh, uh, I first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I look at the BBC news to see what's going on in the world. And then I look at my Feedly feeds uh, and I, I scan through all the headlines and I mark things as possibles for the show. And then usually 1030 Pacific, our show is at 130. At 1030 Pacific, I really get serious about, OK, I'm going to make a rough draft of what I think the headlines should be based on what I see on TechMeme, what I see on Google News, 
what I see on our own show's subreddit, and what I marked earlier in the day and, and throughout the day. Uh, and then I, I read up some more on those. By then, by 11 o'clock, I've usually got the main discussion section nailed down. So I spend the next 45 minutes to an hour really digging into that and trying to find out as much about that main topic as possible. Uh, and then about 12 o'clock, I go back to the headlines, make a final draft of what I think it's going to be, although they're always subject to change based on things that might break towards showtime. And then myself, uh, my producer, Jenny Josephson, uh, and sometimes uh, a guy named Roger Chang, who's helping us out, will go through and we'll write those headlines. And I'll read through those stories carefully, maybe look the, at a couple of What's an example answers. of a headline? Take a look at yesterday's show. Uh, Sundar Pichai's talk at Mobile World Congress, where they mentioned that Google is going to uh, launch their own MVNO, which is a cell phone service that you can buy, but it's operated on another network. Uh, that's that was one of the headlines yesterday. Or, or Mark Zuckerberg. You're too smart uh, for me. What? I, I don't. I, this is too smart for me. <laughs> Why do you say that? You're, You're using acronyms. Guy. MVNO. I feel like I'm very very well. That's just an acronym. All it means is Google's going to operate a cell phone service, but they're going to operate it on somebody else's equipment, not build their own. You're also in the Smart Guys Hall of Fame, beyond the uh, Podcasting Hall of Fame. I'm just in the acronym wielding. You're, hall you're of all fame. about confusing us smart. with acronyms, so then we think you're smart. Wow, that, Tom, have you tuned into the show? I mean, the MVNO update came in. Well, that's yeah. uh, so. So you go into like the tep, the the depth of tech, but then equally like sword and laser. You're in the depth of science fiction. That that one, uh, the prep is reading a book, essentially. It's a on, book. Can on, you explain that? What's that? Can you explain that, please? Uh, reading a book? Yeah, well, that can we read a book right now? And uh, can you explain a sword and laser? Because this is interesting. Oh, sure, yeah. The, the, it's a, the, it's the a science fiction and fantasy book club. Uh, so once a month, we pick either a, a science fiction or a fantasy book. And the idea, the genesis of the idea came when Veronica Belmont and I were both working at CNET. And we would talk to each other about books, but she always read fantasy for the most part. And I read science fiction for the most part. And so we were introducing each other to the other genre. And we decided to start a book club that had that as its purpose. Uh, and, and it turned into a podcast because we're podcasters. So we now have, I believe, the largest Goodreads um, group that is not the actual Goodreads official librarians group. Uh, and we also have a podcast and we read a book once a month and we talk about the book on both the Goodreads group and on the podcast. And on the podcast, we do go through some news. Uh, it's a it's a lighter uh, touch than the Daily Tech News show. We just sort of we actually have fans submit the things they want us to talk about. And then we talk about the book that we've been reading or we introduce the book that we're going to read for the month because we do the show every this other week. This is such a geek fantasy. I mean, I used to work at Machinima with all these gamers on YouTube making content and all these fans wanted to have not my job cause I'm not on, I wasn't on camera, but, but your job, I imagine people that like play Dungeons and Dragon or that, you know, are building mobile apps in high school. Like all these young people that are curious must really think that, wow, this guy's got it figured out. Yeah. If you like to read books, then, well, yeah. I mean, that's maybe that's a smaller population than I'm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is, <laughs> and that's. It's actually one of the things about Sword and Laser is it is not one of the most popular that I do because uh, it it does limit the audience to people who are loving not only reading but reading this particular genre. But the audience is extraordinarily passionate, uh, and and that's why we have the largest Goodreads group because among those people who read and are interested in in talking about the things that they read, uh, we've got a really active audience. And we were just on a on a panel two weeks ago about podcasting in Los Angeles, and someone actually, I think, gave you books. 
Yeah, one of our fellow panelists yeah. is an author, uh, and he writes young adult uh, fantasy slash science fiction. So he gave me a couple books uh, to take a look at. It was cool. So then are you reading actively on your own, or are you reading actively for the show? I mostly read for the show because I'm a very slow reader. Uh, we also have made a conscious decision not to review books, which would like triple or quadruple the amount of reading we would have to do. True. And my co-host does a second book club podcast in addition to this one. And so she has double the reading already. Oh, really? So then are you reading on a Kindle or an actual book? It depends. I, I will sometimes read on a print book, although that's rarer than it used to be. I will often read on a Kindle, but more often I'm doing audiobooks. Oh, really? On your commute now that you're living Yeah, in I LA. do it when I run or like doing household chores or something. I don't really have a commute because I have a home studio. What's a book you just recently read? We are on the show? currently for March reading The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison, which is up for a Nebula Award this year. And I am doing for that one the Kindle audiobook Whisper Sync, which means you can listen to the book and it will keep place in the Kindle version. So that if you can't listen to the book, you can just read the Kindle and then it will pick up on the audiobook where you are in reading. We're living in the future. Yeah. So then are you um for for the actual books themselves, have you ever written a book? I have. I have tried, attempted many times, and I've self-published them just to get feedback from people. And maybe one day I I might actually write something really worth reading. I'm not sure. Or the contents of the book. Uh I've written a bunch. Uh the the one that is probably most relevant. You're funny because you're really modest and you don't take yourself too seriously. No, I don't. <laughs> but audience, people listening to the show think you're really serious. So, and they think you're you're very successful. And it's so you're you're showing us that there's you can work really hard but not take things so seriously because I feel like a lot of times in technology, especially entrepreneurs are all like buttoned up and they're completely, you know, if if you don't act like this is the most important thing in the world and people don't think that it's actually something that you value? Yeah, it's, I don't know. I was talking to a guy who was uh, interviewing people for a book that he was writing uh, on geeks and he asked me a question about entrepreneurship and I'm like, well, I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur. I know I'm doing entrepreneurial things, but I'm not, when you're an entrepreneur, I feel like you're doing it because you want to, you love business, you love starting businesses, and you love the ideas that you're doing your businesses for, but you love that part of it. I don't love that part of it. I, I love creating content, uh, and I want to do as little of the businessy side of things as, as possible. So then how do you make money as a business person? Then are you in charge of that side of the house, or do you have someone else that helps yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, I have an accountant that 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 I yeah. use to kind of keep track and make sure I'm not doing anything horribly stupid. And I have a friend who <laughs> is uh, who's the business manager for her husband's podcast slash business. And she's been okay. really helpful in advising me on on not making really, really dumb mistakes. Uh, but mostly is that what it comes down to? Just don't make yeah, dumb well, that's, mistakes. Well, that's my I'm not recommending that as a management method, but that's kind of the way I've gone about it is I'm going to focus 98% on making content that the audience loves. Uh, then I will figure out how to best monetize it and then 
I will handle that money in a way that I hopefully am not wasting it. Which is always a good thing. But one of the things that really frustrated me in the corporations that I worked for, uh, and and not any particular one, it was in, it was in all of the ones that I've worked for, is they start to go backwards where they say, we're making money doing this, so what other things can we do that will make money for us doing this? And when you're doing a content enterprise, like a website, television, network, radio, et cetera, you really... Will can t can put yourself in a corner doing that. You will whittle down the quality of your offering because what will make money is changing, but you've locked yourself in. So, for example, on a website, you may say, hey, when we review products, we sell a lot of banner ads. So what else can we do that will sell a lot of banner ads? Uh, and and so what I what I've tried to do is is not make that mistake personally right. and say what you want is a lot of people that really want your thing. Then figure out like. What's the best way to monetize that? What's the best way to fund that? What can you do that allows those people to support your operation in a way that makes them feel like they understand why they're giving you the money that they're giving you? So in, in this era, transparency and just openness with your community is vital. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that and 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 making a connection between like, hey, I'm, I'm going to ask you for something, whether it's responding to an advertiser, whether it's buying my merchandise, uh, whether it's crowdfunding, and I'm going to give you a, a valid reason why you would want to do it. And you're interesting with your ads because oftentimes the ad is, hey, uh, this show is supported by you, the listener. Go to our Patreon page to, to help support. So you don't have, do you have a lot of advertisers in general? Uh, on, on Daily Tech News Show, we have none. And it's, uh, that was one of our goals on Patreon, uh, which is the site we use to crowdfund, is that if we got to this amount per month, which basically pays the salary for me and my producer, that we wouldn't need to take ads. And we wouldn't. And we'd remain independent. Because especially when you're dealing with news, advertising always is an uncomfortable relationship. And it's even more uncomfortable when you don't have a large organization that separates it. When I worked at CNET, there was a very good separation between the salespeople who did the sales over there right. and us who did the content. Uh, when you're the guy doing all of it, it's hard to do that. So we don't take any ads there. Sword and Laser is crowdfunded, but we have taken ads before and we are we are willing to take ads again. It's, we're, we're not against it. Current Geek takes ads. Uh, and Cord Killers is like DTNS. It, it doesn't take ads because it's crowdfunded well enough. So it's, it's all about what fits for the business model and what fits for the audience. So after we, we talked, few weeks ago, I told my wife, you know, I had booked you on the podcast. I was excited to have you. And I was explaining to her Patreon and how it wasn't crowdfunding in the traditional sense of it's a project. It's crowdfunding almost like a tip jar or a way to give me people monthly subscription, like NPR in a sense, where they do pledge drives. And she said she had no idea. She thought I was speaking Swahili. It was really funny because she's... Were you explaining it to her in Swahili, though? I was using I mean, French Swahili, oh, well, actually, there you go. a dialect. Yeah. And so she she looked at me like I hadn't... And she usually gets what I say quickly, just from you know the high level, and she doesn't need the, the nitty-gritty of it all. So maybe I was getting too granular. Um, but can you explain t the actual process of how people can pay you and actually where they can find your page? Sure. Uh, Patreon.com was started by Jack Conti, and it's a site meant to support people who do ongoing projects. So Kickstarter is really great if you have a thing you want to make and you need to raise $50,000 to make it, right? But then once you've made the thing, you're you're done. You're selling the thing, perhaps. The product's done and you're fulfilling. Yeah. With 
a podcast or in Jack Connie, who's uh, from the band Pomplamoose, in a musician's case, uh, yeah, you might want to crowdfund a CD, but then you'll want to do another CD. So you have to do another Kickstarter for the next CD and another Kickstarter. And so Jack said, well, let me let me do something that allows you to support someone on an ongoing basis based on what they're giving you. So with artists, it would be songs. With podcasts, it would be episodes. And that's that's what I do. Uh, Patreon.com slash Ace Detect. That's a stupid name again. Yeah, we already know it's uh, is, a long story. Uh, is where you can go to fund Daily Tech News Show or Patreon.com slash Cord Killers or Patreon.com. Oh, each show has a, has a Patreon. Yeah. Uh, and you can say, for Cord Killers and Sword and Laser, I will give you 50 cents for every episode you do. And then every time we post an episode, uh, your your account gets charged. And at the end of every month, uh, it will it will bill you, uh, you through PayPal or a credit card or whatever. And in the aggregate, with you know, if we have enough people funding us, then then we get the money. In Cord Killers and Sword and Lasers case, more than we would get through advertising. And so people essentially get billed every month. They can stop and start whenever they want. And so you, yeah. you're, the idea is you're giving away free content. You work hard for it. You want to give people some value, something they can learn from. And in, in return, instead of act, asking for a sponsor, which could interrupt this, the show or make it less appealing because you can just – sometimes ads can be spam or not. But yeah, yeah. But you're trying to make it as well, natural as possible. I, and that's the way we do it on Daily Tech News Show and Cord Killers. We haven't decided on Sword and Laser if we're ever going to not ever take ads. Lots of Patreon – supported content does take ads right. and as long as the audience understands that like hey we're going to put ads out there if you're still want to support the show you can that can work because what you're telling people is look we're doing something valuable if you get some value out of it and you want to give that value back then this is how you do it and i i stole that explanation of things from adam curry it's the way he describes support for no agenda his podcast which he doesn't do on patreon he does with paypal donations and taking paper checks and does a great job dan carlin does a similar thing dan carlin takes ads but he's very selective about them and then he still asks people through paypal for a buck a show if they if they like the show uh and he does great with that so it it, it is the kind of thing where i can see why your wife would be like wait you just ask people for money and they give it to yeah. you but it's not that simple you're actually asking people to support something that they like. And if you like it well enough, I, I do this for lots of, of things that I like, both other podcasters and artists. Like, yeah, I really like John Rosenberg's Scenes from a Multiverse. I want that to continue. I want John to have a basis to continue to make his art. And yes, I want him to sell merchandise and stuff too, but I will give him uh, you know, a, a certain amount per month to continue to make those cartoons because I want to keep them coming. Yeah, my wife was more along the lines of, she didn't trust me. Like, why would you ever donate to something on the internet like this? That, cause it, but I think the PayPal comparison is apt. It sort of takes out the middleman of, hey, donate through PayPal on my site and do it reoccurring. Yeah, and, and the difference between Patreon and PayPal, what I was surprised to learn was that some people were like, nope, don't want to do Patreon. We'll totally do PayPal. While other people are like, I would have never done PayPal. Right. But now that you have Patreon... That's better. Patreon has some of those Kickstarter elements of being able to communicate with your audience, give them special rewards, all of that sort of yeah, thing. What kind of perks it, do you do for the it rewards? It makes more of a community out of it. Uh, for Daily Tech News Show, if you're a basic supporter, you get your name on the website uh, and and you get my thanks. Uh, and we do we do special things from now, every now and then that we send out to the Patreon supporters. So the books that I was talking about earlier, I sent free PDF copies of them to everybody. What's one of the books called? 
Uh, well, the year in tech history is the one I was going to mention. It's just a, a chronology of everything, uh, not everything, but a lot of things that are important that have happened in tech history. I also have a bunch of fiction novels. From what years to what year? From, uh, let's see, where do I start? 640 BC, I think. Uh, so you just went through the history of the last 2,000 yeah. years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I try to come up with three things at the minimum for every single day of the year. Uh, and then I add every things day? as they go along. Yeah, if you go to TomMerritt.com, I, I post them up there as well. And I have a, a podcast, of course. Uh, so you, where have I, art, you, have a, you have this historical element. I feel like you're making all these artifacts. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm fascinated with history. I was a I was a history major for a year before I went into journalism in college. It seems like we could go to your your community or read this book in ten years, and like all these things that we forgot even happened, or that are so much more or less important now. Well, it's fun to go through all that historical stuff because you get a perspective on on how the importance of things changes over time. So lots of things from the 1800s about Edison and uh, inventions and Tesla. And then there's sort of a dip. Now, part of that dip is the World Wars, obviously. Uh, but there's sort of a forgetting of of history in the first half of the 20th century. And then there's another rise of like mainframe computers and Brainiac and ENIAC and all of that, that sort of thing. Uh, and then the recent history is always the most interesting because you don't know what's historical. When Twitter was started, no one noted it down to well, say, aha, it, Twitter launched today because nobody knew it was going to be big. And it was a podcasting company. Well, yeah, it was the guys Odeo. from Odeo, right, uh, who were doing this other thing. So what do you think of Nikola Tesla? You mentioned him as someone in history. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I, I am not well versed in Tesla as many people on the internet are. They, so I'm almost afraid to say anything. He's such about a it. cult status on the web. Yeah. Why do you, uh, why Tesla do you think that? Yeah. Is he underrated in history? Is that why people feel like they have to support him? If you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I would have absolutely said yes without reservation, but I feel like he's being revived. Uh, he's being rehabilitated. And so I think he's still underrated by a lot of people, but I, uh, I think he's getting his due finally, or at least starting to. What do you think is part of his brilliance in the history of, just in the perspective of history? Well, it's in relation to Edison. He's the guy who did science for science sake, and he thought big and achieved things that no one recognized. And all of the outsiders of the world appreciate that, right? They, because he actually had sound science. It's not like, oh, he was the crazy guy that everyone ignored because he was crazy and none of his stuff worked. No, his stuff actually worked. He was a pioneer. He was a, a voice ahead of his time. And there's, there's this, I don't know, maybe I get too philosophical here, but there's always like the Rolling Stones versus the Beatles or John Lennon versus Paul McCartney. There's, you know, Steve Jobs uh, versus Bill Gates. There's always these pairings. And Tesla is one side of that equation with Edison. What, and so for people that don't even know who Tesla is, which I wouldn't be surprised people have like what 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 do, you, what do you think were his biggest achievements well what everybody remembers him for is is wireless power uh his his attempts to come up with a way to transmit electricity without uh wires he was also in a debate with edison over alternating currents benefits over direct currents and that is the famous uh, electrocuting the elephant demonstration that Edison did, which mo many people think w was was just propaganda. And in fact, Edison's direct current has almost entirely been replaced by alternating current because Tesla was right. It, alternating current is safer. Yes. Yeah, so this is I, now uh, the history background is really pretty. And I'm sure I got something wrong in that explanation. So apologies for that. So now that you have this show and you can talk about history, you can talk about tech and science fiction. Do you feel in a lot of ways that 
all these different skills and interests that you've had because of the podcast and now ways to support yourself. It is just a great time to do this versus if, you know, 10 years ago, this would not have even been possible. Yeah. Well, I do wish that we had YouTube and podcasting in 96 uh, when I was first really starting out on the web. I I was I used the internet for years before that, but I only used shell accounts. I, I only thought you used invented the internet. Was that you or Al Gore? No, that was Al Gore. Okay. Everybody knows that. Uh, I I I started out with hating the graphical web. I thought it was just meant for advertisements and it was going to ruin the internet. So I resisted it until 1996 so when I finally got. Yeah, I finally got a a twenty eight eight modem and and went on the graphical web and started a website, and uh, at the time, what I loved about it is still what I love about it now. We just have more tools and faster bandwidth, but you can make something, and it will be judged on its merits. Now, as the web has expanded and more people use it, it's still it's harder to get attention than it used to be. But at the same time, you can still get attention and you can still build things. And we see people doing that all the time. I mean, PewDiePie, for instance, is one of the most popular channels on YouTube. If not, I think he is the, yeah, the most, most popular. popular channel on YouTube. And he's just a guy who uh, played video games uh, and is entertaining. And he, and he, only start, he only started two, three years ago. So he exactly. wasn't even the early YouTube creator. And I don't believe now. Maybe there's some you know secret information here, but I don't believe he had connections no. or anything. He just he just caught the fancy of people and he's not even a good there. gamer per se. He's just has no. He's not like a pro gamer, right? He's not like an esports guy. He's a funny personality and yeah. Uh, and so I mean, we could have a, a a critical argument about you know the shallowness uh, versus the substantiveness of popularity. But at the same time, I just, I do believe that the internet always provides a way for people to go directly to other people without having to go through a gatekeeper. And that's what all of these fights about net neutrality and Google's over-dominance in Europe and all of this stuff is about is people wanting to preserve that level playing field. And do you think it will be preserved? Because Net neutrality in a lot of these, com com you know, countries in Europe, like I feel like there's a lot of uh, discourse continually about how the internet should behave and be operated and managed. Yeah, I mean, from the ten thousand foot view, my theory is that we're just fighting through the fact that people in power, people in charge of the old gates, are now trying to put gates on the internet, right. and I don't believe the internet can be gated. The internet, the whole way the internet has grown and worked from the very beginning in the late 60s is that it routes around problems. Uh, so when you when you try to shut down good or bad guys, it's not always a good thing that it routes around problems. They find another way uh, to, to do what they want. They find another way to communicate. Uh, it's possible that big companies or organizations might figure out a way to stop that or minimize it. But I don't, I don't think it's likely. And, and it doesn't matter what side of the net neutrality debate uh, you're on, whether you're pro net neutrality or whether you think it's a, it's a government takeover of the internet. I don't think that it's going to have the effects that either side think it's going to have because the folks who really want to create a, an open platform to communicate are going to do that wherever they run into problems, regardless. Mesh networking, or or coming out with uh, better ways to encrypt your communication and hide it. So then, that being said, what do you think about Bitcoin and 
like the phenomenon of people saying that it could be as big as the internet is and it, well, but the Bitcoin is the internet. I mean, right? I, don't, I, I don't understand Bitcoin at all. I tr I wanted to link up my account to Bitcoin because I thought it'd be fun to get uh, Bitcoin donations for the podcast. But then I was I was really sketched out to link my bank card to. Yeah, don't don't to... do that. that would be my first response to people is like, get a Bitcoin wallet, uh, run it on your computer, put a proper password, a very strong password on it, and and use it that way. But don't link it up to your bank account. You mean it's a, too a, early a Bitcoin that. wallet is something you download on your hard drive, or is it a separate device? No, it's just it's just a, it's a piece of software. Oh. Uh, and the beautiful thing about a Bitcoin wallet is you can also uh, you can back it up on a USB drive uh, and and keep it safe that way. And you, you can also uh, print it out. And so, can you explain Bitcoin to my friends from Vanderbilt University who live in? Tennessee and Colorado, and they they don't even know what a podcast is, but they just listen to the show and they don't know I what Bitcoin try. is. Uh, it's all Bitcoin is is a way to create something virtual that is as unique and hard to counterfeit as something physical. In this case, money. Uh, that's that's the basis of it. Is that you have a you have a token in your Bitcoin wallet sitting on your hard drive that yes you can copy you can put it on a usb drive and copy it but it is verifiable as belonging to you and it's verifiable that it is the only version of itself no matter what how many times you copy the file the bitcoin system knows that there is only one of those things with that particular signature and and the blockchain system not to get too fancy that is what they call the system that does this well and blockchain and it, is getting a lot of venture capital investment now yeah and so the the blockchain system is a way that all of the software that is running uh and and using bitcoins can help each other verify all of these transactions yeah so do you have bitcoin I do, and I take Bitcoin donations uh, through through my my website. Uh, I don't get a ton of them, but you know, I I got into Bitcoin when it first launched uh, in the very early days, and so I got like I think a half of a Bitcoin or a full Bitcoin just for opening a wallet, and then some other people gave me Bitcoins because they were essentially worthless at the time, just so that I could see how a transfer worked. Uh, but then, yeah, I've gotten a few like tenths. Now, now you give slices of Bitcoin. Like one Bitcoin is worth a couple hundred bucks. So, if you want to give a Bitcoin, you usually give it in fractional increments. So it's like gold, where you chop it up into yeah, yeah. half pound pieces of eight. Pieces of eight. <laughs> it's so it sounds so British, yeah. like um, six pence. So then, are you? Uh, do you think you'll be using Bitcoin in the next few years more so? I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated with Bitcoin. I think it's a very robust system. It remains to be seen if once the mining aspect of it dies down, uh, and and to explain that, you can run software that will run an algorithm that helps process everybody else's transactions that in turn randomly can give you Bitcoins. There's a limited number of Bitcoins oh, that can exist, but not all of them exist yet. So a lot of people are sustaining the system by doing that. Eventually, that system will fill up, and I'm curious if it can continue to exist just on transactions. That's the theory. And side note, this is my own personal question: Where are they mining the bitcoins? Uh, just, it's it's an equation. Okay, so you could you if you and I wanted to, we could focus on the equation and start mining. Yeah, you need a lot of computers take, and a lot of processors. 
So who are the main miners? Are they now? Now they're big associations, uh, venture capital backed companies, and and but there are there are also some hacker groups and associations that that do so Bitcoin like mining. A, some botnets do it too. Is there a gold rush now coming? Where no, now we, if, we already had the gold rush. That was when Bitcoin was worth like a thousand dollars a Bitcoin, and then we had a crash. What do you think about venture capital backed companies now just mining all these coins? Are they trying to control more of the? I, the Bitcoin or that is a highly debated question whether Bitcoin can be cornered, can be controlled. Most people don't think it can, uh, but it's not impossible. We don't know. And that's the thing about Bitcoin as a currency. It's in its way early days. It has a lot of potential, but a lot of things have to happen before it can actually be a stable and accepted currency. But the, the value of that is that it is verifiable and it is neutral. Nobody can control it, at least that's what people think. So if those things are true, it's an incredibly valuable thing to have on the internet, not just for currency, but you could use it for, you know, safeguarding any kind of digital property. This is so incredible. We live in this time. Things are changing so quickly. Yeah. No, it's it's I fun. Mean, just, it's uh, and that's why I like doing the the daily tech news. And so how much I mean it sounds like this is just a full-time thing like i i can't imagine being married to you i mean obviously we never would be married because we both you know have wives but your your wife you, you know you guys live in la now and she does she work in this industry too she does uh she is a video producer at youtube at the youtube space la oh cool that's a great venue actually i think i may have mentioned this my first ever podcast episode was from the playa vista youtube office with bernie burns who actually is from Austin, and he does this show called Rooster Teeth and Red versus Blue. And uh, anyway, so my first many my first few guests were YouTubers from an event they had there. Do you remember um, what so the event this, was? I wonder if it was called Tubathon. Oh yeah, no, I, know. I remember Tubathon. And Shira Lazar hosts it. Yep. Yeah, Eileen, and my wife Eileen was was involved in that. I remember. Oh cool. Yeah. Well, I actually, yeah, Tubathon happened. I went to interview Bernie, and then I got five other guests. You know how yeah, it goes. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, that, so being married to you though, I imagine you're just always looking, reading, digesting, like how do you decompress and step, step back? You said you go jogging. Yeah, I go, I do. I, I go running. Uh, I, I watch a lot of television. Not that it's bad to be married to you. I'm sure you know, your wife loves you. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully I found the one person who could put up with me and vice versa. So, uh, <laughs> it works out really well. And, and she works a lot too. Uh, I actually think she works more than me. Uh, although I, maybe that's just an illusion because I, I work from home, but yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're both hard workers and, and we go, we go out to eat. Uh, you know, we, that's one of the things we like to do is try diff different kinds of foods, different restaurants. Uh, we go see movies, um, with, with, how do you travel if you have to do the show? Every yeah, day? that's been the tricky part. When I when I worked for a company, it was always like, oh, okay, well, we have other people in the company who can fill in. Uh, so I've been trying to figure that out. Now, one of the ways I can travel is the fact that you know, hey, in this world, I can do my show from a laptop, uh, and, right. and and so I've done that, and that works sometimes. But if I just want to actually take time off uh, and take a break, I did it for the first time in September last year and got guest hosts, people who are just willing to, to fill in on the show, and they did a great job. So that has launched me into actually hiring some regular contributors who are, are always part of the show, usually once a week. And in fact, we have a stretch goal right now on our Patreon. If we hit another level, we'll get another couple of contributors. And then those people are, are well-versed with the show so that they can step in as well. 
And then what do you, you said you, earlier that you're, you think a lot of people entrepreneurial, you have entrepreneurial characteristics and entrepreneurs like to build companies and you like to create content. What would you classify yourself as? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a content creator. Uh, and, and as far as the news goes, I even hesitate to call myself a journalist because I'm not out digging up stories. I, that, that's what the guys at TechCrunch and Ars Technica and The Verge do very well. I, I take the information that those hardworking folks are providing and I try to synthesize it and analyze it to give you a little extra context. I'm very cognizant of giving them credit, especially if they've broken a story. Right. Uh, and driving people back to like, hey, you know, read Ars Technica, read The Verge, read read whatever source that I'm using, because uh, it it does take a big enterprise to actually do reporting. So I feel like I'm more of a content creator, uh, a host, uh, and an analyst, maybe. Analyst, yeah. I someone on my Google Analytics looked up Ryan Williams, journalist, the, like last week, and I thought, who's doing this? Because no way am I a journalist. Yeah, well, people people who aren't familiar with journalism or aren't trained in journalism throw that throw that word around uh, yeah. a lot. So that didn't surprise me. You hold a mic. You're holding a mic right now. That I'm makes holding you a, a mic right now, right? and I have, I have a headphones. Yeah, I mean, totally. We're breaking <laughs> yeah, news yeah. right now. So then they asked me also um, if if things are off the record, and I'm thinking we're eating lunch right now. Well, what but that's on the record the difference, stuff? Right? You if you're I'm really an actual break journalist, you? everything's on the record. Until you say otherwise, yeah, yeah, but but you're not th you're not in that mindset, so yeah, no, but you're right. People blur it, essentially. If you have a microphone, yeah. suddenly people think that you do That's have a smart question to ask if anybody if you're talking journalist. to anybody who has any kind of show is like, hey, are you going to be using this? Uh, because it, in traditional journalism, yes, I'm going to use it unless you tell me we're off the record or I tell you we're off the record. Right. We're going to close up shop in a minute. Do you have any pearls of wisdom for people? Okay, not to become you, because I think you are a very unique uh, person. It's hard. It's, and then I'd be out of a job. We don't want anyone to take your job. Yeah. And you're, you have a wife that would be upset if they became you. <laughs> right. Um, what kind of advice do you give to like students you know, in high school, college that are just figuring out and they want to create content for a living? I better than any other time in history, uh, you can just start doing it. That That's always my first piece of advice. If someone's like, I, I want to be a product reviewer or I want to be a podcaster. I'm like, great, do it. Don't sit around and, and plan for, for months and months and months. Don't worry about having to read things. Uh, just start doing it. There, there are plenty of tools available and don't worry about doing it wrong at the beginning. Because it is the internet. Uh, and yes, while everything you do will last forever, and that might be mildly embarrassing, I'm sure there's some early podcast episodes that I wouldn't be proud to show off. It's not the end of the world. And that's how you get better is, is to just start doing it. And that's how when you start going and reading advice and looking at other things, that advice will make more sense to you because you'll say, oh, right, when I do my podcast, I do run into that problem. Uh, or when I review a product, I've noticed that that's an issue. Uh, so I, I would say just start doing whatever it is you want to do eventually. And not worry about making money at first. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, worry about making money in some way so that you don't like start. Like a real but job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so d advice, don't quit your job and just start making a podcast. Yeah, fig figure out the money part, whatever that right. is, uh, and figure out a way to do the thing you love. And if you can match those up early, all the better. Well, cool. You have any questions for me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what are your pearls of wisdom, Ryan? My pearls of wisdom are don't quit your job. Anyone, 
that I talk to that quits their job, I tell them just to really sit back and consider that these passions and hobbies and you want to love what you get paid for. It's this great ideology and belief, but keep your job, keep your income steady and don't make any rash decisions because you think you can start going on your own. Yeah. Look before you leap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was a very concise way of saying that. Look before you leap. Um, all right, cool. Tom, thank you for coming on the hey, podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. This was fun. Hey, everyone. That was a great episode with Tom Merritt. Living in LA now, but he was based in the Bay Area for a long time. A pioneer at CNET and a bunch of other channels uh, around content and podcasting and technology. Can't believe how many shows he runs. So check him out, tommerritt.com, two R's, two T's. Um, always a pleasure talking to people that have created on their own and figuring out models to succeed in the business world. Because for anyone creating their own business or idea right now, it's never been a noisier time to try to launch an idea. And it's never been a more exciting time. So it's people like Tom have figured out ways to get their voices heard, to build a company and brand off of that and survive. And that's all you can ask for. So Tom's show is uh, daily. You could check out everything at TomMerritt.com and his Swords and Lasers podcast is also super popular. Really excited that he came on the show. As someone who is aspiring to be like Tom, I've also realized that the business side of things is important for me to build my company. And I've been taking a lot of cues from the audience about that. So I've created my own podcast, creating guidelines you know, for the tip sheet. But I've also uh, built a company, InfluencerModel.com, to help people build their podcasts, whether it's a brand, a company, an entrepreneur, a creator, consulting with people, helping to launch podcasts to the world. I think this is an emerging market for everyone and anyone to navigate the podcast world, create their own shows, or advertise. So outside of creating end-to-end podcasts at InfluencerModel.com, you can also work with me and I'll coach you. And so if you're an executive or an entrepreneur that needs to navigate the podcast world, whether it's being booked on shows, advertising, or just creating your own podcast, I will work with you to help shape your strategy because everyone's going to need a podcast strategy in 2015. It's the area we're in, it's the area we're going, and it's the focus of the future when it comes to online, on-demand radio. Because we are going to have cars that are connected with Bluetooth that can help us to listen to podcasts. And now that we all have iPhones and droids that are set up with podcast apps in 2015, 2016, 2017, podcasts are only going to get bigger and bigger as more mobile devices reach the globe and more people are connected with software in their cars. So hit me up if you'd like to get a free consultation, ryan at influencereconomy.com. And thanks again. Love, Tom. Got some great episodes coming down the pike that you will be hearing very, very, very soon. So uh, got some agents that I've talked to that are repping YouTubers, have some YouTube creators, some other podcasters. Can't wait to uh, share these to the world. Hopefully you're getting a lot out of this. I, I am. I've heard from some listeners all over the world. People are saying that they're loving parts of the show and that parts are that there are takeaways and there are action items. So hopefully we'll be giving a lot more action items and I'll hear stories from listeners that have launched their own ideas and companies to the world and they've built out their own brands and startups and podcast technology companies, whatever. And this show helped them get a get a jump start on things and a jump start along the way to to build out their vision. And hopefully you can execute off 
listens that we have and learnings that we have from the show. So thanks again for joining me on this journey. Always on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. If you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe and leave a review. Without further ado, heading to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. <laughs>